You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It is now officially summer uh, since we are now uh, live on air on June 1st, um, 2022. I'm joining you here live from uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, and my name is Andreas Steno Larsen. And um, today I'm very, very happy to uh, present my my guest uh, of the hour, um, a friend of mine uh, and the founder of C- and CEO of 42 Macro, Dario Stale. A warm welcome to the show. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? I'm all good. It's good to see you again. It's <laughs> last week you were on my show this year today, and now we're here on yeah. the briefing. I mean, you know what they say about the third date, right? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> we just can't get enough. Let's put it like that. <laughs> we, we've had um, a, a a pretty nice day on 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 markets, I'd say, at least from from an action pack perspective. Um, equities are slightly down. Uh, on the day, uh, even with a slight uh, late comeback here. But we've also had natural gas on the move again in, in commodity space. I find that interesting. And then uh, thirdly, we've seen bond yields jumping again after a very strong ISM manufacturing print earlier today. Uh, and you told me before we went on air that this was kind of a middle finger to your current growth thesis, uh, because it essentially surprised to the upside this uh, this growth gauge. What do you make of the numbers we got from the ISM report today? It was a healthy report. I mean, obviously, accelerating is, is one factor, but just the general level of this time series uh, continues to tell you that the US economy is still operating comfortably above trend. Um, and that's been our, mm. we have to go from above trend growth to below trend growth, not only in reported terms, but also in expectations terms. And that process uh, continues to underpin our, our negative views on risk assets. Yeah. So it came in above 56, uh, the index level today, which is a quite healthy level. Um, but if you look three, six months ahead for the ISM manufacturing, uh, what kind of levels would you envisage that we will hit? I mean, so it's it's hard to to, to, to forecast ISM with any room. Hmm. I think getting the directional trend right and ultimately getting the inflection points right are probably going to be more value added in terms of the amount of time you, you spend as a hmm. uh, But one thing I would forecast in terms of, um, you know, you look at our USA grid model, Brian, if you throw that chart up there, and this is something I've been saying all year, which is if you really want to get into the teeth of the slowdown, our model is not projecting that that real sort of, you know, meaningful deceleration in, in the pace of growth commencing until you get into the July 
August, September months. So basically Q3 is where you're going to really start to see growth slow at a much faster pace. We've been slowing, but at a very modest pace of slowdown. And it's been very negligible from the perspective of asset markets. A lot of what's gone on thus far has really just been the inflection in the liquidity cycle. Well, we do have another shoe to drop, and that's the growth cycle really picking up steam to the downside. It's already baked in the cake. We can talk about why. And we also have the profit cycle uh, picking up steam to the downside as well as a function of the growth soda. Yeah. One of the things that I like to look at uh, when I'm trying to assess the development ahead for the ISM manufacturing figure is the developments that we've seen over the past year in interest rates. Um, I've brought my model um, today, if you can show it on the screen, Brian, um, showing that if you use the two-year point and the 10-year point on the US yield curve as a gauge of where ISM manufacturing is headed, you actually have a very decent forecasting model uh, showing the direction one year ahead. Uh, and right now, we are basically staring directly into the next uh, cyclical slowdown phase if this interest rate-based model holds true. Uh, so assuming that this model holds true, we should probably see levels below 50 by the uh, end of this year in the ISM manufacturing. And this is very interesting when we debate bond deals. Uh, I know that you've slowly but surely turned positive on, on bonds again, Darius. Uh, but the growth cycle is, of course, one important ingredient ingredient in that uh, perspective. What do you make of bond yields post this number we got today on the ISM manufacturing report? Oh, totally. I think it's the, the to me, this today was such a important day for the notebook. You don't get them every day, but every once in a while, the market will signal something to you that I think is very important to write down. And to me, what was very important to write down was the market response to such good data. And it sort of tells you that to me, I think it's a real clear signal and an indication that we are there's no real easy way out of here uh, from the perspective of risk assets. And what I mean by that is the fact that financial conditions, uh, they continue to remain uncomfortably loose. In fact, Brian, if you could put up that chart um, titled financial conditions remain uncomfortable, <laughs> showing in that chart is the uh, Goldman Sachs uh, financial conditions index. That's the red line in the chart. The black line in the chart shows the S&P 500's next 12 months earnings yields so taking the AE divided by the P. Um, and you see you see from both the indicators, you know, we're nowhere near what we've seen historically seen the Fed pivot. We're nowhere near where we've historically been at at the bottom of a growth cycle slowdown. And so it tells you, look, if we continue to see strong data, the obviously the obvious implication of an economy that is still operating above trend from a demand perspective is that inflation is not going to behave uh, anytime soon. And that's going to keep the Fed actively engaged and perhaps more engaged in removing liquidity. And, and one final point on that on that last point on uh, the next chart, uh, Brian, is, is the dollar, euro and, and, and British pound OIS, where we're showing uh, overnight index swap uh, forwards. Uh, for those different currencies in the top panel uh, we just show the sort of higher low that's starting to be put in uh, in dollar ois if you look at it on a one-year and two-year basis uh, up 17 basis points day over day uh, and so hmm. be telling you that hey look maybe the market got too far ahead of itself in term in pricing in you know very you know kind of a shallow uh, terminal fed funds rate pricing in a, a september pause if you will according to bostic uh, down at the atlanta fed and maybe the real answer is inflation does not behave anytime soon and the Fed continues to keep its foot on the brake, if not press the brake down a little harder.
We've had a couple of Fed speakers out today, um, one of them being Bullet, uh, maybe the most hawkish member of the committee. Uh, I told my clients late last year that Bullet was actually worth listening to when he was one of the first members of the committee uh, stating that the Federal Reserve needed to taper asset purchases uh, throughout the autumn of last year. Uh, what do you make of his comments today referring to the credibility aspect of inflation? Yeah, great question, man. And we talked about this in the podcast on, on, on Sunday. Um, the Fed is fighting two wars right now. It's fighting mm. a supported inflation battle that it's clearly losing at the current juncture and it will uh, continue to lose over the medium term. Eventually, they'll get it uh, right. Uh, but the, I think the just as important is the battle uh, with respect to their credibility. And this is part of the reason why we saw Fed Chair Powell address the American public. It's part of the reason why we saw uh, the, the, the photo op in the White House uh, yesterday between um, uh, President Biden uh, Jay Powell and, Jen, and Secretary, Secretary Janet Yellen, who also had comments today, but I'll, I'll follow up, I'll finish on Bullard's comments before we pivot to her. Bullard said, and I'm quoting this, this situation, obviously he's talking about inflation, is risking the Fed's credibility with respect to its inflation target and associate mandate to provide stable prices in the U.S. And so this is, again, this is an institution that's wounded by a very, very bit publicly, very bad forecast that is now the result of that forecast, that bad forecast is now hurting tens, if not hundreds of millions of Americans um, at the gas pump, at the dinner table, at the grocery, mm. you know, the clothing outlet, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then lastly, pivoting to Yellen's comments, uh, it's very much along the lines of this credibility dynamic where she said, uh, I was wrong about the path inflation would take, it, you know, citing her comments last year that uh, inflation would be transitory. It obviously is not transitory. And now you have a lot of very important individuals as it relates to a voter on the FMC. The FOMC Fit Chair himself, the Treasury Secretary Yellen, and obviously the President of the United States, all coalescing to drain liquidity from financial markets to suck out demand from the economy. And ultimately, that's going to have an impact on the profit cycle. Yeah. And if the Federal Reserve will have to act very aggressively to bring down demand, then we may be faced with a very severe economic slowdown this um, coming autumn. And in that regards, the CEO. Yeah. Yeah, sure. He acted very aggressively to bring down. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. We are back on air. We apologize for the technical issues that we just faced uh, here. Um, we were talking about the potential economic hurricane coming up. Those were the words used by the CEO of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, earlier today. Uh, it's very, very rare that you see a CEO for a big bank saying stuff like that, Darius. What do you make of his comments? and the severity of them. Yeah, no, I thought it was very interesting. You know, you don't tend to see someone whose business is so positively correlated to the economic cycle effectively tell you that, hey, look, this is gonna get a lot worse for me, and therefore it's obviously gonna get a lot worse for you. It's a very atypical behavior uh, of a bank CEO. You just, you don't hear it very often. So I think it's very telling. Uh, you know, we don't wanna get into the business of using Jamie Dimon or you know, Lloyd Blankfein used to be, or Brian Moynihan, or any of these other CEOs as leading indicators, because at the end of the day, you know, their models are, they're, not, they're only as good as their models, right, in terms of forecasting. But one thing I will say is that I certainly do agree with them. 
Now, the size of the hurricane, the category of the hurricane mm. um, ultimately need to be assessed, which is the, obviously the title of the show. Uh, are we headed for recession? I think it's way too early to tell if we're headed for recession because we have to get to a below trend growth state to see the kinds of shocks that are you know, being accumulated to the system at that moment in time. All we know is that, hey, we're going to go to a below trend uh, state of growth. A couple of numbers I'll throw at you before we go to questions. You know, if you look at the, um, the real PCE data that we got on Friday, I thought it was pretty telling to see the sort of pace of deceleration that is already starting to accumulate. You know, if you look at the headline uh, real PCE, that's the broadest measure of mm -hmm. consumption in the economy. It's about two thirds of U.S. GDP. Um, that accelerated to 2.8% on a year-over-year -year basis last month or in April. These data are a month, one month lag. But the year, the, the three-month annualized rate of change actually slowed to 1.2%. So basically less than half of where the year-over-year -year is. And so if we stay at this level of growth, which you could argue we're probably not going to stay at this level of growth, they're going to actually go lower, we're going to see a pretty significant slowdown uh, in the year-over-year. -year. And more importantly, where you're supposed to see a booming economy, the services sector, Yes, that's you know still running at about six percent year over year, five point nine to be exact. But on a three month mm -hmm. annualized basis, services consumption is only at one point eight percent, and that is a big problem in the context of everyone saying, "Hey, look, transitioning from goods to services, booming economy, etc." Yeah, and one of the things that, of course, comes with a an economic recession is usually a rising unemployment rate. Uh, and I wanted, before we move to the questions, to pick your brain on the employment leg of the ISM manufacturing report we got earlier today, because that was actually the part surprising to the downside. What do you make of the contractual numbers we got on uh, employment in the ISM report? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's somewhat telling. I mean, it's telling you that they were seeing a receipt, a rece a, you know, a, a ebbing of demand for labor. Uh, that number came in around 49.6, lowest number we've seen since November of 2020. And so clearly we're starting to see some cracks, you know, at the margins in the labor market. But we have so much slowing to go. I mean, don't forget the labor cycle, the labor market in general, employment growth. These are all lagging indicators to the broader economic cycle. Um, and so we're, you know, we're going to be talking about a slowdown in employment a year from now. I mean, so let's let's keep that in, let's keep that in context. What's more likely to happen is the leading indicators start to you know continue to slow. We'll start to see coincident indicators like things like you know retail sales, industrial production, et cetera, really start to slow, and then we'll start to see a real significant slowdown in employment growth. But I do believe this might be a very very early leading indicator for that process, which will again play out over the next twelve to eighteen months. Yeah. Uh, we've got a bunch of questions uh, and a very, very good one here relating to the debate that we have on uh, the economic slowdown in the U.S. Because the role of the U.S. dollar during an, an economic slowdown is one of uh, the topics that are always always debated when we enter such a slowdown. What do you make of the dollar level heading into such a slowdown? Yeah, it's interesting. This is a unique cycle in the sense that the dollar showed some pretty aggressive strength in the Given the growth cycle upturn, you know, if you call mm. it from 2020 to, to, to 2021 and throughout 2021 and into the early part of 2022, or obviously into, into recent weeks, uh, you know, this is, is this pretty atypical. Typically, you see a pretty significant decline in the dollar. We got that significant decline in the dollar going back to the summer of 2020, but, you know, really kind of started to bottom out in early part of 21 and really started to take off in 2020, you know, in mid 2021. And it's telling me that, hey, look, in this COVID world, where the U.S. stimulated significantly more than all of its peers, uh, growth significantly outperformed more than its peers, profit growth, et cetera, GDP, et cetera. There's been a lot of capital inflow into the U.S. economy. I mean, if you look at it on a sort of um, you know annual basis, 
Last year, we saw $4 trillion of capital going into the U.S. economy if you look at the change in our net international investment position. And so that to me says, hey, look, we could have, if we have a significant slowdown in growth, typically that favors dollar strength. That's usually a sign of a reduction in global liquidity that tends to cause, you know, a lot of short covering and a lot of um, prepayment at international um, uh, debt capital markets, um, you know, for a lot of the dollar denominated debt out there. But the reality is you could actually see the dollar go in reverse if we have a significant mm -hmm. slowdown because what's really been happening is all that capital has been capitalizing uh, our excess growth rates. And so I'm not really sure, but, you know, we, we actually booked a decent gain in our long dollar position. We've been long the dollar for a really long time uh, in recent weeks. And, and we, you know, we're, we're undecided from here, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, for me as a European, I still like being long dollar as like an anti position to being long risk assets mm -hmm. uh, for, for me seen from a European soil. Uh, and I think the driver, uh, if the dollar continues up now, uh, will be the liquidity part of the equation, as you also mentioned. If global trade slows markedly, which I find likely, then the natural source of dollar liquidity being exported via the uh, trade deficit of the U.S. will shrink. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's usually something that leads to a stronger dollar. But right now, the interesting part of this equation, uh, if we look at the broad dollar index, is what happens in the Eurozone, because the repricing of the European Central Bank has been quite remarkable lately as yeah. a consequence of the rapidly rising inflation in uh, in Europe. And in that regards, I want to uh, to touch upon the topic of commodities as well. Uh, since we've seen a, um, a renewed rally in natural gas prices today in the US, um, right now we are faced with an extreme energy situation in Europe. But this situation may carry spillovers to the US as well. What do you make of the energy situation in the US compared to Europe right now? I mean, this is this one of those things that not enough people are talking about. Like this is just, yeah. you know, I think the the general sentiment out there is that you know could we have seen the general sentiment of questions and I'm necessarily say the sentiment, but the, the general tone of questions is was that the bottom? Inflation has peaked. When is the Fed going to pivot? And there's not enough questions of being asked about could they get could this get worse from an inflation standpoint? Could the terminal Fed funds rate pricing go higher? Could they increase the allocations or the, the allotments for quantitative tightening? And these are legitimate risks. Um, obviously, crude oil is now breaking out again, um, at least on our volatility adjusted momentum signal. Um, clearly, food agricultural prices never really took a dip. They've been grinding higher the whole time. And then when you start to look at some inflation dynamics, and we talked about this in our morning note this morning, when you look at sort of what's been driving inflation, particularly in the last couple of months here, it's been the very aggressive slowdown in goods inflation has offset more than offset the continued acceleration in, in services inflation. If you look at it on a core goods basis, we're at 0.8% on the three-month annualized rate. That's a big reduction. That's a big slowdown from the, let's call it 10% year-over-year rate of change that we're seeing that we last recorded in April. And you look at core services inflation, that's accelerating to zero point or to 7.5%. So right now, goods is kind of taking the cake. But we know we're going to have a continued acceleration in shelter prices. Uh, that's already baked into the cake in terms of where home price appreciation is, hitting new all-time highs in March and Q1, respectively, pick your index. And so you could, if we don't slow fast enough from an economic standpoint, what's likely to happen if we continue to see a rise in crude oil, continue to see a rise in natural gas, continue to see a rise in food costs, and oh, by the way, continue to see an upward slope in services inflation, is that that stuff's going to take the baton from goods inflation and start to push inflation statistics higher on a, on a headline basis and on a core PC basis. And that's going to be a big, 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 big trouble for the market if that happens. Yeah, I, I perfectly agree. 
We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, we have a question uh, in relation to the inflation pressures that we see in, in Europe, but also in the US now, because the big if now is whether the European Central Bank will join the hiking camp uh, as a consequence of the inflation that we're faced with in Europe. And Manus asks whether anyone truly dares to think that the European Central Bank can hike interest rates. Do you have an opinion on that, Darius? <laughs> they, they can and they they can and they will. There's no the, you if you want to mark us. I tweeted this to Alf the other week. If you want to if you want to cement that we're in a global slowdown, have the European you have the ECB hike interest rates. Trichet <laughs> yeah. hiked them in, in the middle of 08. He hiked them in the middle of 2011 in the sovereign debt in the European sovereign debt crisis. So when they hike interest rates, you'll know for a fact that you're probably very close to a global recession. <laughs> yeah, it's usually how it is. Um, and I, I mean, from, from my perspective, there is no doubt that they will join the hiking camp this summer. Yeah. The question is just whether the European markets can cope with it. Uh, one question mark uh, being clearly related to the Italian uh, debt sustainability. Uh, I think we're already very close to pain thresholds for, uh, for the Italian debt sustainability in terms of yield uh, spreads. So... It, it will be a very, very tricky summer for the European Central Bank. And bear in mind that the inflation figures we got from Europe this week, if we annualize the change over the past three months, we are running at 16.4% inflation. What? Wow. So that's a double verse headline. Yeah. Wow. This is just crazy. crazy. See, you, you, I love that you do that. I love that you're out there doing real serious analysis and not just you know jumping from macro tourist topic to macro tourist topic. That's the kind of analysis you need to do to understand that, hey, look, the liquidity cycle not only is inflecting in Europe, it's actually going to get worse. And until yes. that dynamic, that spread between the, the annualized and the year over year starts to compress and move in the other direction, you should expect to keep incrementally hawkish uh, commentary and incrementally hawkish policy actions out of the ECB. Yeah, we have a great question from from John listening to the show uh, because uh, basic, basically, the two of us agree that we have a slowdown ahead of us, potentially even a recession. Mm -hmm. uh, but John is asking whether that boat is already very overcrowded. And I think that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, I, look, so I'll say a couple things. Um, and, and I have a great chart to answer that question specifically. But I'll say just something generally speaking. You know, we have, I've been doing this for a long time and certainly backtested a lot of things. You typically don't want to be more than, and, and the backtest will prove this, you know, once you the, the markets are generally not more than three to four months forward looking, and the sweet spot is somewhere around one to two months if you look at it on a rate of change basis. So the momentum and in growth, the momentum and in inflation, the momentum and mm -hmm. policy rate exchanges, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're talking about you know us being potentially a year out from the bottom of the growth cycle. I've never seen in any market cycle that I've studied or any economic cycle that I've studied, and I've studied them all as far as the data goes back where the market bottoms this far in advance of the bottom of the growth cycle. And the only time you can actually get it to bottom, you know, six, nine months in advance, and you look at, um, you know, sort of 2011 being one of the key examples, is when you get an inflection in the liquidity cycle. 
Well, we are very far, at least according to our analysis, from an inflection of the liquidity mm -hmm. cycle because we're not yet at the point of the inflation cycle that will send a signal to the Fed um, um, that they need to do something different. And so the last thing I'll say on this is um, if you put up the chart, uh, Brian, uh, the global downturn is not adequately priced in. Um, what we're showing in this chart, the blue line is the OECD composite leading index time series for the global economy. So it's a proxy for global growth, uh, the leading indicators for global growth. And the red line is the S&P 500's high beta index as a ratio uh, to the S&P 500's low beta index. And what you've seen in the last three non-recessionary slowdowns, so I would argue COVID wasn't really a recessionary slowdown, it's just a shutdown. We got to down, let's call it 35 to 40% in this ratio. Well, we're only tracking around down to 18 to 19% right now, which is basically a half of where it needs to go. And so to say that everyone's in the boat, you know, we have not seen the kind of decline that we've historically seen in non-recessionary instances of a globally synchronized downturn, growth downturn. We could easily go into a recession uh, by the, at the end of this process or at any point in time in this process, which would tell you that down 35 to down 40% of that ratio is actually too bullish. Um, so to answer the question, is everyone on one side of the boat? Yeah, but is the boat going to do anything different? That doesn't yeah. mean the boat has to flip, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and one thing I could add in, in that regards is the um, signal that we got from the uh, investor survey Bank of America conducts every month. Um, there is a question on the sentiment on the economy going ahead, and that sentiment is extremely bearish. But if you look at the positioning relative to that sentiment, then I would argue that the positioning is still fairly bullish on risk assets compared to the uh, to the sentiment survey. Uh, so even though the sentiment is very bearish, the positioning might not be as bearish as it sounds. Andrea, I think that's worth concluding. Thank you for saying that. I say this all the time. There's sentiment and positioning are not the same thing. You mm -hmm. know that as an institutional guy, I know that as an institutional guy, but I don't think the average retail investor really comprehends that statement. Sentiment is what people talk about on FinTwit and what they send around surveys on. Positioning mm -hmm. is what actually impacts the market through the options market, through the different volatility products, through et cetera, et cetera. And one final statistic that I'll leave everyone with um, on the positioning side of this debate, because again, sentiment is nonsensical from my perspective. If you take the ratio of household equity ownership in the United States of America, looking at the flow of funds data, and you take that and divide it as a ratio of the overall total household net worth. So what's the aggregate share of your net worth that's being contributed by stocks? It's right around 30%, or it'll be lower than 30%. This Q4 data will be lower than that in Q1. That was an all-time high. And so households in the U.S., even more than the tech bubble in 2000, were overly allocated to stocks at, in this, at this most recent high in the stock market. So to say that everyone's suddenly bearish, and it, it may be accurate from a sentiment standpoint, they may be feeling bad, but they have not made enough of an asset allocation pivot to account for the, the slowdown in the growth cycle and liquidity cycle that we have uh, ahead of us. So let's assume for a second that uh, we are right, that the growth cycle will continue down over the coming year and the liquidity, liquidity cycle will continue down with it. Um, from a top-down perspective, um, finally here, how do you position as an investor for such a scenario? Uh, I'll give you one quick answer for that. Sign yeah. up for 42 Macro if you want the portfolio construction. <laughs> <laughs> then, then I can say at least it's worth having a few bonds in your portfolio in such a scenario. Uh, I think we will leave you with those comments for today. Uh, thanks very much. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best 
brightest and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.